0: Welcome to a brand new series of Are We There Yet? The Project Edward podcast. My name's James Luckhurst. Nursing a bit of a cold this week, I'm afraid, but we'll soldier on just to stay upwind of me. With a fair bit of help from friends and colleagues, I'm planning to pop up on a device near you every week until the end of September, all in support of our forthcoming week of action that's at the heart of Project Edward every day without a road death. Each week, we'll share content that showcases this year's theme of changing minds, changing behaviour. And for this first episode, we take a close look back at one of the very earliest social media behaviour change campaigns that genuinely went viral. It followed the death of motorcyclist David Holmes on a road in Norfolk in 2013. We've reunited David's mother, Brenda, with the police officers involved in the aftermath of David's crash – And we find out why they decided to publish footage from the camera attached to David's helmet that recorded the last few seconds of his life and the last words he spoke. We also catch up with two Project Edwards supporters, Chris Spinks of Westcotec and Jeff Collins of Ynoptic, who share their own thoughts on this year's theme. But first of all, we meet a lady from Ireland... Who next week marks the tenth anniversary of the day her life changed forever. Her name is Elba Toomey, and in July twenty twelve she was on holiday in the southwest of England with her husband Con and little son Oisin. She was also expecting a baby daughter. On the 6th of July, at 247 PM, the family were involved in a horrific crash with a suicidal taxi driver who was being pursued by the police. OShin died, and Elba lost her unborn daughter. Elba has campaigned since then for better training in suicide awareness for police officers and also on how to apprehend suicidal drivers. She keeps the memory of her lost family members alive with an annual Twomey Family Memorial. And I caught up with her a few days ago, just as this year's very special event had concluded. I first asked for her take on the special weekend.
1: It was exhausting, emotional, beautiful. Uh, a lot of cons friends and we'd say family and the community in general, they're just amazing. Like the people traveled from Dublin and Galway and all sorts to be with us and to, to join in our quiz Saturday night and our early morning cycle on Sunday morning. Um, and then in the we'd cycle at Hap State, we had 120 bikes, um, leave Brock Chapel and do 55k. Uh, thank God they all arrived back safely. Um, uh, then at 12 noon we had over 300 people walk and we had over 100 people run it was just at two or at uh, 1 o'clock um, and then last night which is probably the one of the most meaningful parts to me we have the coming to hurling cup where four local teams um, play for the under 11th um, hurling cup and I have a little chat with them after about Road safety. We give them a gift bag with a high vis vest with Tumi Family Memorial logo on it. And um, I give them a wristband. I do a bit of a deal where I ask them to, to become seatbelt sheriffs. For me, I give them just a brief, because they're only kids, a brief outline of how wearing a seatbelt saved my life. And I ask them to take on the challenge of being a seatbelt sheriff that sometimes moms and dads and nans and granddads. And brothers and sisters can forget to put it on and we all can forget at times and it's always good to have a seatbelt sheriff for the character to remind us. So when they take on that, they get a goodie bag. So it's a bit of blackmail, really, but it, it works.
0: As we record this conversation, we're not far off the 10th anniversary of the, of the horrific crash in which you were involved. You lost your husband, your son and your unborn daughter. As you approach 10 years, let, let's just reflect on forgiveness i suppose because how easy did that come to you and and how do you feel now
1: oh james it didn't come easy at all i'd be the first one to say it my god i'll never forget september after our crash i was sitting above beside con in the hospital room ward and um a priest friend of the family now i hadn't known the man now we're great friends since But I hadn't known him, but he's um, a very spiritual man now. And we were chatting and he asked me, did I think I could forgive Mark, who had crashed into us? And I said, no. And he said he was going to pray every day that one day that I might forgive him. And I said, he prayed for Mark on my behalf every day until I'd be able to. And I said, literally said to him, Father, I hope you live to be very old because I doubt I'll ever be able to pray for the man who robbed me of my family. And literally the November after, two months later, I was I used to always pop into the church uh, before I was at home and light a candle for Khan O'Sheen a little lady. And I found myself lighting a candle for Marek, which was a huge milestone because I started to think about things from his side and really and truly, I suppose, it was a bit of a shift the blame from Marek to the police officer who was involved in our story. And it wasn't really until I got to speak with the police at Little Man's Inquest the following November that I realised, my God, he wasn't at fault. It was the system. He didn't have training. And maybe even if he had training, the outcome would have been the same. But I kind of felt the system let him down. That the, Did you know that he, he, did, he didn't have... I suppose, better support from the control room staff on the day because he was kind of in the adrenaline of the pressure of of a spotting mark. So that's it. It was kind of a journey of blame, blame and try and help fix.
0: It has led to changes, hasn't it?
1: It has, thank God, James. Yeah, it has. You can't fix what went wrong, but you can please God help this. It may not happen again, or that I suppose I was looking at everything from the point of view of a suicidal driver. But then the more I was speaking with police and the on guard shakana here, they can come across suicidal people when they're on the beat. So training for them is very, very important in this day and age with the you know the sad reality of mental health and issues with people. So thank God, yeah, changes have been made and there's a lot of forces are, you will say, giving suicide awareness training to their officers and to them guards to Ghana here. And it was funny there, I, but funny in inverted commas, there about six weeks ago, I got a lovely message from an officer in, in the UK who told me that they had used um, our scenario in, as part of their refresher training in the pack, which was great.
0: That was Elba Toomey, who on the 6th of July this year will mark the 10th anniversary of the loss of her husband Con, her little son Oshin, and her unborn daughter. Our theme for Project Edward 2022 is Changing Minds, Changing Behaviour, and during this podcast season we'll be inviting a number of guests to reflect on that theme. For this week I had the chance to catch up with Chris Spinks of Westgatech and Jeff Collins of Yenoptic, both long-standing supporters of Project Edward. First, I heard from Chris.
2: Key to road safety and saving lives is about education and enforcement of drivers. Education is so important because if we don't get drivers to understand the consequences of their behavior then we're never going to prevent so many of these collisions happening.
0: Take a look over your career as a police officer at what worked in changing minds and changing behavior.
2: A lot of it comes down to the severity of the behaviour that the driver has exhibited. So sometimes just a quiet word with somebody who has made a mistake can be all you need. If you have a serial offender then they need to be taken off the road to protect all of the other road users and for them ultimately to be taught a lesson. So it is right across the spectrum in terms of linking it to the behaviour they've displayed and that enforcement level at the end of it.
0: I'll turn to Jeff, Jeff Collins from Yanoptic, Big yellow roadside gantries. You were helpful with Project Edward in 2021, and we had a very interesting day on the Evo Triangle, as it's called, in North Wales. Does that count as a behaviour change technique, or is that just primarily an enforcement technique?
3: No, it absolutely counts as a behaviour change technique. And just looking around the stand today, as you pointed out, there are some big bright yellow columns and they send uh, it's not even a subliminal message they send a clear message to people watch out be careful where you are and um, here are the stand-on traffic as well I've got behind me a sign which um, Chris very kindly lent me from Westcotech which is it's a vehicle activated sign which says average speed check and I think it's the first one that's actually um, been out there and it's a perfect example of try to deter people from being caught, encourage them to do the right thing rather than just catch them and then find them because many people need a little bit of a nudge in the right direction. And when they appreciate what is happening and why it is happening, you tend to get the behaviors you you want. So in answer to your question, yes, I think big yellow columns send a message to people and then a sign which comes up maybe just at two o'clock in the morning when someone's driving a little bit too fast to encourage them and tell them what's going on you then get the behaviours that you actively want. And, and I, I think that's what it should be about. It's encouragement rather than enforcement as a first measure.
0: I'm going to give you both an opportunity here to share your thoughts on emerging threats and emerging opportunities. Jeff, first of all.
3: One thing that immediately comes to my mind is the an increasingly emerging threat of driver distraction in that more and more people are using uh, mobile devices, mobile phones in a way that they didn't previously. And I don't think everybody understands just how distracting it is to be looking at something in your hand or even looking at something on the screen in your car because um, you can watch TV in your car now. And so I, I think that
0: is an area which is but um, you can. I mean, you, you're physically able to, but it, I don't think you're allowed to. Are you? Just let's just clarify that. No,
3: a- absolutely. There, there are cars which have in-car apps which would allow you to view a film should you choose to do so. Of course, you shouldn't as the driver. And I, I see myself driving here today. Quite a lot of people were looking down at their lap. And appear to be a little distracted and were wobbling as they were driving down the road so I think it's a much larger issue than we appreciate and 15 years ago this wasn't really something to even consider
2: Chris opportunities and threats then I think if it's implemented properly the autonomous vehicles the safety features that are run alongside those um, we're looking at um, V2X, which is vehicle to infrastructure and information being relayed direct to the car and at some point down the line actually making some of those decisions for the driver based on what the sign is displaying, those sort of things can make or will make a massive difference provided that implemented properly and the infrastructure is there to make it work. I think it's a little way off down the line and there's all sorts of connectivity issues there's vehicle technology issues there's vehicle manufacturers making sure that we don't end up with that whole for you know older listeners beta max vhs situation that we had i think that's a real opportunity because collisions don't just happen there's no such thing as a dangerous road it only becomes a dangerous road once you put a vehicle and a driver on it so if you can eliminate some of those issues and bad decisions that drivers make then there will be a reduction in collisions and a reduction in deaths
0: That was Chris Spinks and we also heard from Jeff Collins. Chris stays with us now as we consider the value of shock tactics as an effective tool for behaviour change in the form of David's story. David Holmes was an enthusiastic motorcyclist who died when a car turned across his path on the A47 in Norfolk in 2013. Chris Spinks at the time headed Norfolk and Suffolk's Road's policing unit and was therefore closely involved with the aftermath of the crash and the subsequent investigation. Between the police and David's mother, Brenda, a decision was made to release the footage recorded on David's helmet camera of his last journey, including the very sudden and tragic end. Why? What purpose could this serve? How might it be used as a behaviour change technique? Well, that's something we'll leave them to explain as they reflect on what they did and whether they achieved what they hoped.
2: My name's Chris and um, I'm a former Chief Inspector from Norfolk and Suffolk Roads Policing uh, and I was one of the people involved in David's story.
4: I'm Bren Holmes. I'm David's mum. I'm Charlie Sands. I was the investigating officer into David's road collision.
2: We haven't sat round a table and spoke um, for eight years or more so this is the first time that we've got together since we were involved in that Um, and it's important I think that that we remind everybody of of what happened and certainly the part that that Brenda had to pay in in bringing this whole campaign um, to light. David Holmes was was um, riding his motorcycle back from Kings Lynn towards Norwich uh, and he had a, a helmet camera on and that camera recorded the collision that he was tragically involved in um, which ultimately took his life
5: david was action man really he was always busy he packed 100 years of living into his 38 years he was never still for a minute he was generous he was kind and his generosity wasn't only in terms of money but his time and his thoughtfulness he was good to everybody he cared about the environment he cared about everything, and he bought the helmet cam when he returned from working in Antarctica in February 2013, just three months before he died, to record what he saw going on on the roads, He was on the road quite a bit, not only on his motorbike, but also in terms of his job, and he wanted to use that for driver education. Chris and his team gave us the opportunity to use that camera for... The greater good really they initially asked if they could use it for training and we readily agreed by both myself my husband and my daughter we all agreed that that would be what David wanted so there was no hesitation um, that was what happened and we've never regretted it. When that went on to develop into David's story Having watched all the hours and hours recording on on the DVDs from his helmet cam, I think there were forty hours. I was told. Um, Chris came up with this idea for road safety. I felt, well, my husband did too, that if we could prevent this accident happening to one more person, to save one person's life, it would be worth it. And it's not only about the person who's lost their life or had their life changed by injuries, it's also about the family, because the year following his death was absolutely horrendous. There are things to deal with, like court cases, inquests, post-mortems, not in any particular order, of course, and none of them are geared to a grieving family. For example, it was two and a half weeks before I could visit David in the funeral home. All you want to see, do as a, as a mum is visit your child, even knowing they're dead and not coming back. That's all you want to do. And that wasn't possible. We were eventually permitted to see him in the uh, mortuary after his post-mortem. But that was quite some time after he died because... We weren't allowed to see him due to the possible contamination of evidence. Even through glass, we weren't permitted. I, I just felt that was so cruel. It didn't only happen to me, it happens to everybody in that situation and it needs to be changed.
2: The way that we, we kind of kicked off how this was going to happen, it was obvious that the key to this being something different was not only having Brenda and the family blessing to do it, but also having Brenda as part of it, and Charlie was was the investigating officer, and she'd you know had a had a, a bit to do with, with obviously with the family as part of that role. So I then said to her, right, Charlie, this is a bit of an awkward and an unusual request, but can you go and speak to Brenda and see what she thinks about this as an idea? So Charlie went round to see her.
4: I did, and um, as Chris said, it was probably one of the most unusual situations I'd ever found myself in as a family liaison officer um, and I remember um, the day of the collision and going to the scene and seeing the green light on the helmet camera and that sort of stark realization that we would have footage of the collision and that it was going to lead to just a just something that just went huge in relation to road safety it not only um, initially helped from an investigation point of view but when the thought of the road safety campaign came about and chris had mentioned to me about it and and i think by that time i'd got a fairly good relationship with brenda we we kind of saw eye to eye on a lot of things and i was really nervous about asking brenda about using the video footage for the campaign but was absolutely bowled over by her huge amount of enthusiasm bearing in mind she was still going through an incredibly difficult grieving period with her family and friends. Um, And it was just incredible, the support we got from Brenda. And I am not ashamed to say that I cried quite a lot with Brenda during the whole process because it was just a very emotive time for all of those involved and something in my career I never had experienced and certainly will never experience again. But it still resonates with me even now, when I see motorcyclists on the road, when I drive past that spot, which I do regularly, um, I always think of Brenda, and I always think just how fabulous she was in supporting Norfolk Constabulary with getting this road safety message out. And there, I've I've not met anybody in my career when I've spoken about things I've done that has never heard of David's story or seen it not just police officers and work colleagues but friends who ride motorcycles they've all seen it so the impact has been massive and it absolutely wouldn't have been
5: possible without Brenda's involvement So Chris, when you came to see me you had our support we all agreed as a family that it was a good thing to do but social media had never been used like that before and I don't suppose you'd ever had recordings to use like this before Uh, And I think your idea was amazing. But who did you have to convince? How difficult was it to get this rolling?
2: It was quite difficult. The British Police Force is quite conservative with a small c, and you're right, it has never been done before or had never been done before. Um, And there was a lot of concern about putting the constabulary's name to something as, as graphic and as powerful as this. So I did have to convince people you know, right to the top. The chief did view the video, because when I first saw it, I said, right, this we've got to do something with this. So I asked somebody to give him a ring and see if he would come and watch it. And I stood next to him, and that was the second time I'd watched it, and he, he saw it, and at the end of it, he was dead silent. And he then said, put that on again. And he watched it again. Um, and I said to him, right, I think we need to do something with this. And he said, yeah, I need to think about that. So he went off and then and then we had lots of conversations with legal people with our communications team the the underlying feeling was yes we had to do something but there was a fair bit of nervousness about what are we going to do and how far are we going to go and as far as I was concerned there was only one way of doing this and that was making a video obviously I'd spoken to you a bit by then um, and I knew how you were and how you felt about it, and you know how you came across, and it was too good an opportunity not to use. So, it took a little while to get it signed off, but I just kept pushing, and and in the end, you know, we got there, and we only got there because of of the people involved and and how passionate they were about it, and and the support I got from the team and from Brenda and the family to to get it out there.
5: But eventually, um, it was it was released um in its entirety as, as Chris had wanted it, and. Um, it We just rolled with it. It took off. Uh, I can remember
4: being on duty the day it was released and seeing the launch and kind of signing into YouTube on my phone to watch the video and getting really excited when it got to a 1,000 views, then 5,000 views. And within, I want to say, an hour it was a million views. And then by the end of the day, it was five million views. And and it just kept going up and up and the shares it was getting and the comments it was getting, it was just mind-blowing. I don't think anybody had ever seen anything like it before. And I think the constabulary then realised what an amazing thing they'd done and how fabulous Brenda had been to support it along the way. And then on the back of that, Brenda became involved in several road safety um campaigns and issues with colleges and education just to offer her advice and how it feels to be on the other side of the coin as such and so I think the knock-on effect was not just road safety from motorcyclists and motorists but educating those that were then coming into that the young drivers and the youngsters to just the catastrophic effect that behaviour on the road can have on families and the and the long-term effect so that the effect of that video was
5: just huge. When this all kicked off, um, my phone did start ringing, but that was really only the local newspapers. But what astounded me was that I was contacted, mostly by um, email, by um, people from Israel, from New Zealand, from far-flung countries that I've never even thought about visiting, who wanted to use the video for mostly educational purposes. And everything came through the press office at Norfolk Constabulary, which saved me from an awful lot of phone ringing, really. Um, And I must say, they were fabulous. And I was happy to participate in... Whatever I could to help um it was mostly phone interviews from the uh, um foreign countries uh I did radio interviews um and we we had a, the the news crew come a few times to our house um but really most of it was done through the press office
2: I've still got this image of when we did the launch um and we had all of the you know the the press with their t v with their newspapers radio. And sitting with Brenda on this table in a in the conference room at, at the police headquarters, and you know you see on the t v when there's politicians with all those microphones in front of them, well, we had exactly that, and um, Brenda wasn't phased at all it you know it it just she's focused and this is what she wants to deliver and and none of the other stuff is gonna get in the way i was you know I'd done some media stuff before, but nothing like this and and I was sitting there looking at this forest of microphones, thinking, oh my God, what am I doing here Brenda didn't just she was just you know delivering the message and getting it across and Brenda was an absolute inspiration to me. You know, I was coming to the end of my career, I'd done sort of 25 years at that point and I'd never met anyone like like Brenda and and still haven't and and that's why I feel it's a massive privilege for me to to have been involved in in this campaign. One of the aspects that hasn't really come out about David's story was the bane of social media which is the negative attitude that people have for some reason they feel that it's okay to voice their inappropriate opinions about what people have done on social media and this was no exception you know we we had a lot of comments from people saying you know it was it was his fault it was you know he shouldn't have been riding like that and those were the people that i tried to point out that they were totally missing the point of the whole campaign um but certainly for Brenda that must have been really difficult to see that
5: I learned to ignore it um, everyone's entitled to their opinion not everyone's going to like what we did but of course these people with their negative attitudes are the ones that we needed to get at the ones that did upset me initially were the, like, those that said David deserved it he was feeding nobody deserves to lose their life whatever they've done
4: so I think in conclusion we can say that the David story was just an absolute monumental success worldwide, something that none of us had actually envisaged. So I put the question to you both, if we were ever in that situation again, would we do it again?
5: Absolutely, in a heartbeat, no doubt whatsoever. Um, no, I wouldn't want any changes. It all worked out far better than I could have imagined.
2: And that that positivity from Brenda just then sums it up for me, I can still see and hear her saying to me, you know, time and time again, in, in the time we were working together. If I can just prevent one family going through what our family's been through, then this will be a success. The tragedy for me, apart from the obvious, is that we can never know which people, you know, this this saved, which people got home that night that wouldn't have done had their behaviour not been modified by by watching Brenda and and watching the video. We just have to. Accept from anecdotes and talking to people that there were a hell of a lot of people who that resonated with and who modified their driver behaviour and that's the best that you can hope for with any road safety campaign
5: David would be over the moon with the outcome and I'm sure he's up there looking down and he's seen the video I'm sure a million times and I think he would be more than happy than to leave that as his legacy
2: and also he would be incredibly proud of you absolutely Um, you know as as we are and as i said privileged to have been involved with you
5: it wasn't just me it wasn't only me it was we wanted to prevent another death
0: you heard the voices of brenda holmes charlie sands and chris spinks remembering the thinking behind david's story in 2014 and by the way that comes to us courtesy of gem motoring assist A Project Edward supporter and the organisation behind the forthcoming podcast Voices from the Road, which launches later this year. Well, that's all for this first episode. Thanks very much for tuning in. Do tell your friends and help us spread the word. We'll be back next week and joining me will be Charlotte Leventis from Devon Air Ambulance and Chris Boston from Devon and Somerset Fire and Rescue as we look back on their involvement in last year's Week of Action and find out what's been happening since. So do join us for that. But for now, it's cheerio from Are We There Yet? and from me, James Larkhurst, on the Project Edward podcast. Bye-bye.